that really threw our state and our education system particularly into crisis. Welcome to the AESD Scoop, connecting beyond the classroom to bring you conversations pertaining to our children, the future generation. Connecting with local and national experts to answer igniting questions the kids of tomorrow face. Connecting to bring you trustworthy resources, advice, and expertise for modern day families. Tune in on Wednesday. This is the AESD Scoop. Hi, I'm Betsy Hargrove, Superintendent of Avondale Elementary School District, and we are here listening to AESD Scoop. We have the Superintendent of Public Instructions for the state of Arizona joining us today. And I'm gonna ask Superintendent Hoffman, if you'll please introduce yourself. Hello everyone, this is Superintendent Kathy Hoffman. Really happy to be with you all. Um, I started as a preschool teacher down in Tucson and absolutely loved working in our public schools. Decided to go back to school to get my master's to become a speech pathologist. So I worked in special education for uh, public schools. Absolutely loved that profession, working in our schools, working as part of a special education team, working with students of all ability levels. Uh, but then I made the difficult decision to decide to run for office so that I could advocate for our students and our education professionals across the state. I won that election in 2018 and since then have been proud to serve as Arizona State Superintendent, um, which gives me the privilege of leading the Arizona Department of Education. I also serve on many of our state boards, including the State Board of Education, State Charter Board, as well as the Arizona Board of Regents. So I really get to have the honor of working across the state with education leaders and and i say the most important part of the role is being the chief advocate for public education in the state of arizona uh, you are very much a hands-on leader and so i would love to really talk with you around a, a, we can't get away from the pandemic so i do want to touch upon it but really touch upon it from how did it shift what was going on with you? So you were going into your second year at that point, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we have a pandemic that shifted absolutely everything. From your perspective, can you share that experience? Well, I'm very grateful that I spent my first year in office spending so much time traveling the state, getting to know our different districts and education leaders and, and education organizations, because then when the pandemic hit in, in March of last year, at, at least I already had that foundation of, of working with people across the state. I already had people's emails and phone numbers uh, because that, that really threw our state and our education system particularly into crisis. And so not only were we transitioning our the whole Department of Education to being online, I was also working um, collaboratively across the state. And um, I think that th that collaboration was really key. So collaborating with our school leaders um, and as well I, we started having weekly meetings with the um, Arizona education organizations like the school board association the school administrators the teacher organizations to make sure that we were getting out timely information and, and hearing from the field um, I, the other really critical piece was building on our collaboration with the public health um, sector, making sure we were in constant communication with the Department of Health Services and the county health offices. Um, so that was new for us as well with, you know, having that, that consistent and frequent communication to make sure that we were able to disseminate 
be um, the most evidence-based, most up-to-date information about public health guidance to our schools as well. So uh, I definitely, I appreciate that. And I appreciate the way you, you worked with all entities at all levels um, to communicate out the, the latest and most up-to-date information. And I can only imagine how incredibly frustrating that, that was, was for you. I can, I can speak as a superintendent of schools. We would get information one day, literally sometimes in a couple of hours brand new information came out, which, which sometimes actually directly contradicted what was said two hours prior, what had been communicated. Yes, I think um, because this was such an unprecedented situation and we had um, some guidance coming from the federal level, you know, some of what we were looking at was, well, what are other states doing to try to see the direction and some of those models? Um, and then, then, you know, staying in tune with what was being recommended here in Arizona. So I think one example of that where we saw different models that was conflicting information and trying to decide what was best for Arizona was was when we decided what the reopening metrics would be. And we and so I, I do think that Arizona had a, a very good approach to that. And um, it was we did study the Department of Health Services did study what other states were doing, but um, at that time, there there wasn't any concrete guidance from from the federal government, but there were other states, and and um, and so then it was that so then pe some people were critical because they said, well, like New York said, it should be three like a three percent cutoff of of community spread, and and California said this, and another state said this, and so I, that that did make it more confusing and also harder for people to um to understand and accept what the what the guidance was because they were seeing conflicting information based on different experts judgment at the time um so i think that's one example where it, it's hard to build the the public trust and confidence when you have different information from different sources that's conflicting like that I can't agree with you more. I will tell you one of the things that, that we adopted relatively early on with, with COVID communication was the, the caveat of, one, we're sharing with you the best information we have at the time, part one. Part two was the only thing consistent about COVID is the inconsistency. And literally from one day to the next, one hour to the next, um, that, that was a challenge. And I agree with you around building really strong uh, relationships with communities as having a foundation for the additional work that you had to do in some pretty incredible times that no one could have predicted. Mm -hmm. Something that I, I know that you were, have been very involved in is developing a couple of different task force. Can you please share with our listeners around the work that the technology task force has done literally over this the past almost 12 months and, and what you envision and and what successes you've seen from that so for me one of the biggest lessons learned from this pandemic was was really learning the, about the digital divide and seeing firsthand how far behind arizona is compared to other states in the country because when when the whole country was shifting to remote learning and, and digital teaching and learning um, I could I could see and I could hear from other state leaders that that Arizona was not equipped in the same way as other states to have a smooth transition. And of course, this varies from community to community across the state. 
but um, in our rural communities, not having access to, to broadband in the homes was a huge um, was a huge factor. Even in our urban areas like Phoenix, Tucson, where you would think that you, you might think that everyone has access to internet, it's just not the case that affordability becomes a barrier. Um, the skills needed to be able to use the technology at home was also a barrier. And, and then as, as everyone realized that we needed, needed to buy more computers and hotspots, there was even um, a, there was a backlog when schools were trying to order the technology to, to deliver those to their students. So, um, so, we, so I launched the technology task force uh, last, uh, around last summer, I think it was around last June. And I'm very grateful that Superintendent Hargrove was an active participant in this work. My and, pleasure. And the task force did um, break into a couple subcommittees, but the, the overarching goal was to be studying the digital divide issues in Arizona. And so one of the subcommittees has been focused on developing a, a long-term plan for what, what they recommend. They're, they're actually going to be providing us with several recommendations to the Department of Ed of what what we should be doing differently over the coming years to to be addressing the digital divide issues and I, I you know i've seen their draft works so i can share for example one of those recommendations will be to add some staff to our department some a team that is specifically focused on digital teaching and learning and and um, working with districts as well and, and really being able to play a more active role in helping with the digital divide. Um, there was also a group that was focused on resources for parents. What do parents need to know right now? What do families need to know right now to help their students be successful in ac accessing learning um, through, dig through digital means? Um, then there was also a subcommittee working on that was more focused on rural issues, and so they are developing a white paper that will be more descriptive and with, with data, of course, um, but more descriptive of the challenges and unique, very unique challenges that rural Arizona is facing, um, which I think will just be helpful for the, for, it should be helpful for other state leaders and lawmakers to be able to have access to that type of information. Well, I'll tell you, one of, one of the things I greatly appreciated about the approach of the task force is that we did, we did multiple things. One of the things, though, was to look inward. What do we have with, with the group and within our, our experiences in, in own organizations? And we also looked out to other states that have demonstrated success over the past several years and being able to look at some lessons learned and, and, and to essentially you know, not go down roads or bunny trails that others have gone down and it wasn't the right, the, the right move or the right um, next step. And so I think that there was a tremendous amount of intentionality uh, around listening and gathering information before we, before we stepped forward to be able to say, what exactly is it that we need in Arizona? Avondale Elementary School District was in a really wonderful spot. Thank goodness we've been supported over the past several years with capital overrides with our community. And so we were a one-to-one -one district. We literally had 1,200 Chromebooks delivered the Friday before the state shut down. And so we were able to turn them around literally the next week to be able to get them out into the hands of our, of our children. And also of course, take the, the ones out of our carts that were in all of our classrooms. 
but we ran into the same challenge. Well, a couple of different challenges. One is we went from in-person instruction, traditional in, in brick and mortar to, by the way, tomorrow we're going fully remote and we need to figure out a way to do this. Not only the connectivity challenges that we had, uh, however, and the, uh, just the instructional approaches. And I know that, that you have heard and communicated with multiple educators across the state of Arizona throughout this, the, these challenging times of the, of the sheer just angst and frustration. And when you take the most amazing educators, and I believe we have them in Arizona, and I, 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 and I know we have them in Avondale, the most amazing educators who were not feeling as though they were successful. That was a challenging time for us. Can you talk just about your experience with, with interacting with educators and how did you respond to them when you knew that they were at their frustration level and yet also knew what they were doing was beyond amazing? You characterized it perfectly that the, the stress level is extremely high. Even the most experienced teachers told me it felt like it felt like they were a first year teacher again. They, yes. they felt like this is completely new territory, that they felt very inexperienced, just um, really, you know, putting in countless hours, much, much, much longer days, nights, weekends, trying to basically reconstruct what they thought they should be teaching or how they should thought they should be teaching in a in an in-person modality and then trying to somehow transfer that to the online and and I um, I think teachers were very hard on themselves because they hold themselves to a high standard to engage students and make sure students are learning and when you're challenged when you're trying to figure out are kids listening are they there There's a, you know the video might be off or they're not signing in at all and and that can cause a lot of worry. We did, we did, um, the department spent a significant amount of our um, emergency COVID recovery and relief funding that's come from the federal government to provide professional development opportunities for free for teachers. So including, um, we partnered with ASU to, to where they created the Arizona Virtual Teacher Institute, which has trained thousands and thousands of teachers across Arizona on how to use different technologies and, and gave them strategies for how to engage um, their students in a digital teaching and learning environment. Um, we also heard a lot about concerns about student mental health and educator mental health. So we've also dedicated a lot of resources for both professional development in those areas, but also for being able to hire more school counselors and social workers. And I would love to expand on that later as well, um, but we, you know, we really tried to look at this big picture of how all of these factors were contributing to educator stress levels. So what can the department do to alleviate the pressure in any way possible? Uh, that, that I think is something to be incredibly proud of. And I thank you and your entire team for staying uh, in that, for keeping that focus and making sure that whatever resources could be brought together for us to be able to utilize for our children. And I also know that across the state, we have several children who we're not quite sure um, where, where, some, where some of the students who were enrolled in a, in a different school in Arizona last year, where are they right now? Can you talk about the efforts to be able to re-engage children and families into coming back for the 21-22 school year and what that, what that looks like? Yes, absolutely. It brings me to one of my, one of my other task forces. 
Um, so we, as a state, we are concerned that there has been dec declined enrollment over the past year. And, and I do think that in many cases it was caused by fear and worry, you know, insecurity about whether or not it would be safe to send children into a school building for, um, for their instruction. But, um, but those students are not enrolled in anywhere and in any public school in Arizona and have completely disengaged. Um, so to address this, we um, created a new task force, which is the Arizona Ready for School Task Force. And there, there are several different strategies um, that fall under this umbrella. Um, one that we're really excited about is that we are um, also dedicating some of our federal COVID recovery funding to do a, a big statewide public messaging campaign um, so that families are well informed about how to enroll. Um, families will be able to access information through both a website and through a hotline. If they, if they have questions about how do I sign up my kid for school. Um, so you will start to see that public messaging campaign starting around mid-June um, and it will run through the summer. Um, and it's also going to be a way for us to celebrate our public schools that, that you know, there's such good reasons why children benefit from attending our public schools, whether it's being able to do dissection in biology lab or going into their band practice and playing the saxophone. These are things that are not readily available in every home. Um, one of the um, other strategies is that um, the department does have um, data about which students are not engaged. And so we, we will be um, sharing that data with, um, with our public schools so that they have the most up-to-date information about which students were most worried about. And then um, we'll be also, we partner closely with school counselors and social workers across the state. And I know that they're also a really important part of this work, as you mentioned, literally going door to door mm -hmm. um, to, to try to re-engage students and families. Something you talked about and touched upon is that social emotional supports that are needed with all of our children and our adults our, and our staff. Uh, and then extending obviously to our families. We've made some really good gains in Arizona over the past couple of years to increase the number of school counselor and social worker positions in our school. But we still have a long way to go because um, Arizona is still ranked worst in the country when it comes to the ratio of the, it's, uh, so for school counselors, it's 850 students for every one school counselor in Arizona. Um, so whereas the recommended average is, um, closer to 250 students per one counselor. So we still have work to do here, but we're making that a high pri priority in the department. That's something we've strongly lobbied for from our state lawmakers and when, and when they're thinking about um, what, our, what our public schools need. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm so impressed with the staying the course. And again, the pandemic very easily could have been, you know, we need to shift all of our attention and actually, I think because there was a very strong core focus on the things in it that that needed to be accomplished. Uh, I think COVID just actually just put more of a highlight on that for us, uh, whether it's uh, SEL, uh, additional counseling services, social work, uh, the the additional gap um, filling for our children and making sure that in, in our world, we call it prepared, you know, would be able to pursue their limitless future. Right. In order to do that, they need to make we need to make sure that they 
have all of the skills and, and characteristics and attributes, including determination and grit, right? Uh, because goodness knows we all need that, that when they leave Avondale, we want them to be able to do anything that they want to do. And, and I think that the work that you have done and led in Arizona has, has really played out that way as well. And you were not distracted and you didn't allow for distractions. So thank you for that. I, I have a question for you. What is your biggest takeaway from this past year? Um, my biggest takeaway, and I mean, I think I already knew this having worked, having worked in our schools, but so maybe our biggest takeaway as a state is, is that our schools truly are the bedrock of our communities. And we saw that more than ever during the pandemic, it came even more into the light of how critical of a role our schools play in serving our, not just our students, but also their families. And we saw that, especially in regards to addressing the food insecurities across the state, making sure that kids had meals. Um, we worked in really innovative ways. So for example, in Navajo Nation, where it's extremely remote, it's very hard for um, for even bus, even the school buses to get around to every single home. And so we actually partnered with um, Baylor University, which was mailing boxes of food, of, of stable food to um, to the homes of children in Navajo Nation. And but also in regards to the digital divide, I mean. I, I can't think of a time in public education previously where districts were actively signing up families for internet and, and really facilitating that and, and figuring out which plan they might qualify for. Can we, can we get them on a, on a um, more affordable plan or do they need a hotspot and really troubleshooting with families in a way that was very unique. And I hope that that continues. Um, I really do. And I, I also, oh, I should, I have to finish by saying the also, um, so I, I did a school visit during the pandemic. And one of the things that stood out to me from when I visited one of their special education classrooms was the teacher said that since um, they had, they had a hybrid model. So parents were, um, or some students were learning online from the teacher and some were in the classroom. But for the students that were learning from home and were engaged online, um, the teacher said that there was a much more common language between home and school because the parents and families were hearing the words, the, the way that the teacher was guiding the students and their learning and prompting them. I thought that was also something really cool that came out of the pandemic was that those stronger connections um, so my last question for you is, as, as an educational leader at the state level, what advice would you give to other educational leaders at the state level and um, how, how they can be continue to lean into and be a part of the, the solution and the leader in their state? To celebrate the accomplishments of our schools and, you know, specifically teachers and students, I really look for those examples to highlight. I think that it helps build morale around public education. It makes, it makes the next generation want to work in our public schools and, and be the next teacher leaders in our communities. Um, but I would also recommend that we take time to listen to teachers and listen to our students. I think oftentimes students are, are not at the table. And so I, I'm very intentional about having a student advisory council as well as 
I have student advisors on my other advisory councils as well. So I, I try to have as many opportunities as possible for student engagement. And, and I think the best part about it is that you connect it to the goals and the vision of where you believe public education in Arizona can be, which can be just absolutely boundless. It, it, it truly can be boundless as, as we continue to work together in that continuous improvement model. So Superintendent Hoffman, thank you so much for your time today for sharing what you do and what you do best, which is celebrating education, celebrating children, celebrating educators, celebrating all of the things public education here in Arizona. Thank you. Thank you so much, Superintendent Hargrove. It's really been my honor and pleasure. And I appreciate the, these questions and the discussion around these topics.